Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. In the last chapter, it talked about Judah, but now it's gone back to Joseph's story. 1. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him of the hand of the Ishmaelites that had brought him down thither. So a high-ranking officer in Pharaoh's kingdom bought Joseph too. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptians. So the Lord has decided to bless Joseph. When you're obeying the Lord, when you're obeying his commands, which Joseph always does, you get blessed in your life. Now that doesn't mean that you'll have everything you want and that you'll be rich and famous. It just means that you will have blessing and your needs will be met. So even though Joseph is a slave, he's blessed as a slave. He is a high-ranking slave and his boss really likes him. 3. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Whatever Joseph does, it turns out really well. So that's a testimony to Potiphar. 4. And Joseph found favor in his sight, and he ministered unto him. Joseph became basically a favorite of his boss. You kind of see that Jacob loved Joseph because he was his last-born son, and so he was like the baby brother of the family. Plus, he was the first-born son of the favorite wife. And also, you can see that Jacob trusted Joseph to go give him an honest report of what was going on with the sheep and the brothers, he probably knew that Joseph would tell the truth. Good or bad, Joseph would tell what was really happening. Whereas if Jacob sent one of the other brothers to report to him, he wouldn't get a straight story. Now, Joseph's boss, Potiphar, thinks the same. It's actually his master, because he owns him, thinks the same thing, basically. He can trust Joseph, and Joseph always does his best job. Continuing on, and he appointed him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. So it takes a lot of trust for you to make somebody in charge of everything that you own. This just says a lot about Joseph's character. His character is nothing like his brother's. 5. And it came to pass from the time that he appointed him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. Everything that Joseph is in charge of gets blessed, so he's actually making the Egyptian Potiphar prosper. The Lord is blessing the Egyptian for having Joseph. In the Bible, like when the Ark of the Covenant gets passed around, a lot of times the people who have it get blessed because they have it. Where God has an interest, he'll bless those who are caring for his interest, whether that's a person or something else. God has an interest in Joseph because Joseph is his servant, and so God is blessing Potiphar. 6. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and having him he knew not aught save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was of beautiful form and fair to look upon. Form is your body, and fair to look upon means your face. So it's saying that Joseph had a really good build and a handsome face. It also says that he has so much clout and he is so highly trusted by Potiphar that Potiphar stops keeping track of things because he knows Joseph will do it, that he can now relax and just let Joseph be in charge of everything. So the Bible says he didn't know anything except what bread was in his own hand, and that means he knew nothing. 
7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. Casting her eyes, that means that she had lust because he was really good looking. She didn't care anything about him. She just was attracted to his, his physique and his face. All she cares about is sex, basically. 8. But he refused. And it also shows that maybe she's done this before because she has no problem telling her to sleep with him. And she's got a roving eye, so she's probably committed adultery before. This probably isn't new to her. 8. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master, having me knoweth not what is in the house, and he hath put all that he hath into my hand. So Joseph is saying, My master doesn't even know anything that's going on because he trusts me with everything. 9. He is not greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So Joseph is saying, I can't sin against God. Look at what your husband has done for me. He's let me be in charge of everything, and he doesn't even know anything that's going on in the house unless I tell him. He's let me be in charge of everything except you because you are his wife. There's no way I'm going to take you from him. 10. And it came to pass as she spoke to Joseph day by day. So here's the first story in history of sexual harassment in the workplace. And I'm going to tell you another thing. Joseph is also the first Cinderella in world history. He is the original Cinderella. And I believe that the Cinderella fairy tale is based on Joseph's life. Because just like Cinderella, Joseph was rejected by his family, hated by his half-brothers, like Cinderella was hated by her half-sisters. Cinderella was locked up and expelled from the family and expelled from the ball. Joseph was sold into slavery to be expelled from the family and almost killed. Cinderella ends up marrying the prince in the castle and living happily ever after, and she becomes a princess. Joseph, by the time his story is over, he will be regent in Egypt, only second to the pharaoh himself. He'll basically be prince of Egypt. He will marry a princess in Egypt, and he will become a prince. He is the original Cinderella, and now you're seeing the original workplace sexual harassment story. So she spoke to him day by day, basically trying to brainwash him or entice him into sleeping with her, that he hearkeneth not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. She won't leave him alone, so he's basically leaving the room whenever she enters. He doesn't want to have anything to do with her. 11. And it came to pass on a certain day, when he went into the house to do his work, and there was none of the men of the house therein. 12. That she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. So she's grabbing him by his clothes. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. He hightailed it. He ran. So he wasn't going to stick around and try to make peace with her or try to work things out or negotiate. He knew that she was irrational and she's not the kind of person that you can negotiate with or come to an agreement with. Some people will tell Christians, well, you always have to accept other people and you have to shake hands with them and you have to compromise. No, you don't. Christians do not have to ever compromise. If somebody else is trying to lead us in sin or danger, we have the duty to get away from that person, not to compromise with them he got away from her. Now, the reason that she was able to hold on to his garment is because, you know, back in the olden days, it was basically a robe. So it was easy for her to pull it off of him because it was probably something that was wrapped around him. So it wasn't like a coat with buttons or a zip. And she obviously 
yanked it off because she was trying to hold him back by grabbing his clothes. But he said, well, if you're not going to let go, then I'm going to let you have my clothes. He probably wasn't stark naked because they did have underwear back then. They had this thing that you wore around your waist and it was tied with a snakeskin belt or whatever. But he did let her have his main cloak. 13. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth. So that's quite an insult. That's how much he wants to get away from her, is that he let her have his clothes. 14. That she called unto the men of her house and spoke unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in a Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. Something I learned many years ago. The person who screams the loudest after the fact and claims that they're a victim is usually not the victim. They're usually the victimizer. Victimizers do this all the time. What I find more often than not is a genuine victim usually doesn't say anything. They usually don't defend themselves. They usually don't complain. They usually aren't the first one to speak out. They're usually the last one to speak out. Sometimes victims have to get vocal, but typically the first one to scream is usually the one who started the whole conflict. So here she is, after the fact, claiming that she screamed and getting in the face of the other servants, which is so inappropriate. She should have just waited until her husband came home, but she wants as many people on her side as possible. And this is called triangulation. This is when a bully goes and gets a gang of other people to agree with them so that they can have a mob against one person. And that's what she's doing. She's trying to create a mentality to where everybody hates Joseph. 15. And it came to pass, when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment by me and fled and got him out. So she's gossiping. This is another thing that victims usually don't do, is they usually don't gossip. If they do complain, they'll only go to one person who they think can help him. They won't tell the whole town, usually. 16. And she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. This is another thing that victims usually don't do. If you've been in a really traumatic experience, you don't keep trophies of it. And that's what she's doing. She's on her couch with Joseph's clothing right next to her, eagerly waiting for her husband to come home so she can show her trophy to him of her victimization. Real victims don't do this. If that person had really tried to rape her, she wouldn't want to be looking at his clothing all day and sitting by it and touching it and handling it all the day. She'd be disgusted and grossed out at the sight of his clothing. And she would have just left it where it fell. This woman's motivation is she wants evidence against Joseph to get even. She's mad because he wouldn't do what she said. And so now she wants revenge. So her husband comes home. And she spoke unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant whom thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. 18. And it came to pass as I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment by me and fled out. She blames her husband just like Adam blamed God when Adam said, The woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit. You know, he blamed God for giving him the woman. Now the wife of Potiphar is saying, The slave you brought into this house tried to rape me. And that's what she means by mock is to humiliate, you no know, rape her. So she's blaming her own husband for this thing that never even happened. She's inciting a reaction in her husband based on several things. Number one, jealousy. Number two, her husband would want justice for her being harmed. And number three, her husband feels guilty because she's blaming him for buying the slave in the first place. Her husband now 
is emotionally against the wall. 18. And it came to pass as I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment by me and fled out. 19. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. Anger is easier to express, and it gives you a better outlet. So his wrath was kindled. So now the only way to vent all these emotions that she's put on her husband is for him to get mad. 12. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. Potiphar had the authority to put Joseph in prison because Potiphar was a high-ranking officer, and it could also be because he owned Joseph that he had the authority to imprison him, so I'm not sure if it's one or the other or both. 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed kindness unto him and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prisons. This is the third time that Joseph has found favor in somebody's eyes. First with his father. He was the only one who his father trusted to go out to the field and give him a true and honest report of how the sheep were doing. Now the second time, Potiphar trusted him with everything in his household except his own wife. Now number three, the prison guard is going to find favor with Joseph and trust him with things too. So everywhere that Joseph goes, he has all the clout, everybody's trust. It shows his character, but it also shows how God has blessed him. 22. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. This is like being in charge of personnel. He's in charge of their welfare, making sure they do their jobs. He's in charge of everything that they do and where they go. I mean, that's a whole lot of management responsibility. That means making sure their needs are met, making sure there's no fights, making sure that each prisoner has a job to do, making sure all the supplies are distributed properly. Maybe even he ordered the supplies for the prison. Who knows what? Um, he might have overseen meals, all kinds of stuff. So... He always ends up being the right-hand man of whoever he works for, from his father to Potiphar and now to the prison keeper. 23. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Joseph does such a great job in every area that the prison guard can now relax and basically get lazy and not keep track of things anymore, because he knows that Joseph is going to keep track of it. And he can trust Joseph totally, and he knows, just like Potiphar knew, that the Lord is behind all of this, and that Joseph can't do anything wrong because the Lord is with him. And just like Potiphar, now the prison official is prospering. Maybe he's going to get a salary increase because he's doing such a great job, but really it's Joseph who's doing everything. And that's okay with Joseph because Joseph doesn't mind being a servant. And remember Jesus Christ said, if you want to be the leader, you must be servant of all. And this is a pattern we see with Joseph. He always serves all. And that is where we end Genesis chapter 39.